Hello and welcome to Arts Tonight. On the programme, the best of international contemporary music and performance comes to Ireland. Next month, Louth Contemporary Music Society will host a series of concerts that are likely to be among the year's highlights in contemporary music performance in Ireland. I'm joined on the programme by those involved in these concerts through programming and performance and through conversations which will take place with the performing artists. But first, music. Just your mouth Just your love just your anointing oils, just your name, just your chambers, just your love, and my mother's sons, and my own vineyard, and my soul, just your flock. Just your companions, just your kids, just your cheeks, just your neck, just your couch, and my perfume, and my beloved, and my breasts. And my beloved, and my love, just your eyes, and my beloved, An excerpt there from Just by American composer David Lang. Eamon Quinn, as founder and programmer of Louth Contemporary Music Society, perhaps you'd recount the story behind that particular piece of music because it, it captures a lot of what Louth CMS is about. Yeah, it's an extraordinary composition. Um, it was first performed in October 2014 at the Song of Songs concert. It was written by a Pulitzer prize-winning composer called David Lang and he used parts of the text from the Song of Songs. He looked at the attributes that were um, attributed to to each of the lovers in the story in the Song of Songs and pulled the text out of them. It's very accessible, it's very beautiful and we're, we're really pleased with it and very lucky to have it. And it's been picked up uh, for a not insignificant new film. Yes, it's in Paolo Sorrentino's Youth. Um, it's a film which should be coming out, I think, early June. 
it'll be featured in the trailer and the end of it. David Lang's doing the music for it, so it'll fit very well. And again, we're very pleased with it. People may remember Sorrentino's The Great Beauty, which has to be one of the, the, the great films of, of the last few years. And I think this new film as well has people like uh, Michael Caine, Harvey Keitel, Jane Fonda. So it's, it's quite something to have a piece of the music that Loud Contemporary Music Society came up with. Yes. Uh, taken up by Sorrentino for, for this film. Yeah, and, and I think it's also, it, it's great actually for the people who funded the concert and funded the commission, who's the Arts Council and the Arts Service of the uh, of Louth County Council, because we, we've been very lucky with this, but it means that this one piece that we recorded in, in Drogheda is now going to have a worldwide audience as a result of this film so it's, it's great for everybody and I know it's it's on a CD Song of Songs but I think it's, it's yes. also going to be released it'll be available on, on iTunes I think fairly soon yes it, the version I think it's called Mastered for iTunes should be available in a few weeks but I think uh, this playing of it now was maybe a first on yes. radio. Yes, it hasn't been played. It hasn't been released yet. So an exclusive. Um, also joining me is is Paul Griffiths uh, from Studio in Wales. Paul is a librettist, novelist and prolific music writer, author of the classic book Modern Music and After. Uh, Paul, you've written a, a, an essay for that CD, The Song of Songs, uh, produced by Loud Contemporary Music Society, which features that music by David Lang. For you, for you what's important to note about the music? Well, it's a piece I love for, for a very simple reason, that it's very simple. And it, it's, it's simple, but at the same time, you haven't heard this before. It's using very, very few elements, or almost if you, if you took it down any more, there, there'd be nothing left. You're using very, very few elements, but using them in a completely new way to give you something com- completely fresh. That's what I like about this piece. But I also like about it that it comes from, from Louth, that it comes from a very small organisation, which, as we're saying, it's a small organisation which is at the same time international, which, which can potentially touch people around the world. Moving on to uh, the concerts next month, uh, the composer Georg Kurtag is, is the inspiration behind Kurtag's Ghosts, uh, the first of the concerts taking place. Um, could you tell us a, a little about this Hungarian composer Kurtag and place him for us in the story of modern music? Kurtag was born in 1926, so he's coming up to his 90th birthday next year and still actively composing. He was born in Hungary, trained in Hungary. Obviously, a large part of his adult life he spent uh, in communist Hungary. But unlike a lot of people in Eastern Europe, he stayed He stayed where he was. He was a very important teacher in, in Budapest. And although he was somewhat sidelined through the 50s, 60s, 70s, uh, his music was not much uh, performed. But he also wasn't writing very much music. And his, uh, most of his music, a very large part of his music, has been written after he reached the age of, of 50. So he's a, a very slow beginner, a very cautious, a very circumspect composer, somebody who wants to be completely sure that the piece is right in, in every way before he lets it go. And he has a habit of, of writing pieces and then just leaving them aside maybe for a decade, maybe for longer than that, before having them performed and and published and and all the rest of it. He comes out of a Hungarian 
post-Bartok tradition, you can hear the closeness to Hungarian folk music sometimes. But another composer who was very important to him was Anton Weben, Viennese composer, pupil of Schoenberg. Cortex music is like Weben's in its brevity and being very short, at the same time intensely expressive. You have the impression that of a composer who is waiting to 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 produce something which is absolutely ultimate at the peak and and does its job as fast as possible. Some of Cortex's pieces last a minute, even less than that, and just pack an immense punch. You reproduce one of uh, his pieces of music in in your book, Modern Music and After, and, and say something fascinating about it, where you, you say there could hardly be less here and still be something. On the other hand, there could be more and nothing at all. So it, it would suggest a, a kind of very acute minimalism that manages to convey a great deal. Yeah, well, that's almost what I said about the David Lang piece, that, it, it, that it's, it's going down, stripping down to absolutely the the bare bones and uh, almost too little but just enough and that just enough is what enables it to be so intensely expressive he was a classmate of 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 ligeti Um, how does his music compare for instance to ligeti's music Yes, indeed. I mean, it is fascinating that there's this relatively small country which produced two composers uh, born in in quick succession, both in the mid 1920s. Both, uh, I mean, it, it's 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 impossible to 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 think of more important composers of their generation. One can think of composers who are at that level, like Boulez, Strauss, and Berio, No No, so on. Uh, a, a, a brilliant generation. But but two of them should come from this tiny country, not only just from 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 Hungary, but from the Transylvanian part of Hungary, the part that is now in Romania. So a, a tiny region producing two astonishing composers who were classmates, as you say, but I think uh, very different right from, from the start. I mean, Ligeti was somebody who had great ease, I would say. He didn't produce a, a, a large amount, more, more than 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 Kuta, but a great ease, a great um, sophistication. Uh, whereas with Kurtag, you think that that each piece is is just as much as he knows, and he doesn't need to know any more than that. With Ligeti, you think, oh, this is a little bit of of something vast. It's very interesting as well to to read uh, that Kurtag has been looking to Samuel Beckett uh, for inspiration, uh, and in terms uh, of of minimalism, there there would seem to be a, a clear link between the two. Yes, in terms of of just saying enough and, and that enough being momentous. Yes, a kind of wonderful uh, spareness. Yeah, uh, um, right at this moment, he's he's finishing an opera on on the Beckett play, which we know as Endgame, but though he's setting it in the original French, so it's fin de partie. But that's by no means his uh, his first Beckett experience. I think the first was a, an extraordinary piece called What is the Word, which, again, is very much about absolute basics and this he he based on uh, uh, the the plight of an actress who lost her voice as a result of, of a car accident and she was retaught to to speak to articulate by singing that the therapist would 
play a note on the piano and associate that note with a word, and then she would reproduce the note and reproduce the word, and that way she got back into using language. And Kurtak recreated that scene with the Beckett text, What is the Word?, where the, the personage is, is struggling to articulate and learning to articulate word by word. Extraordinary. Um, now, I know that, that Bach is another of the composers who's been of particular importance to Kurtag, and that link, as it was, is, is a fine illustration of how the contemporary continues to find fresh inspiration from what has been made before. And let's hear Kurtag play an arrangement of his, of one of Bach's pieces for piano for hands. <laughs> Hungarian composer Gerig Kurtag performing with his wife Martha his arrangement of Bach's Sonatina Actus Tragicus. Marina Fermenti, who will be performing in Drogheda next month, joins us now from Vienna, where he's currently in rehearsal for another concert. Um, Marina, could you tell us how Kurtag's ghost came to life, as it were, how, how it was imagined by you? Well, um, Kurtas Kost is um, uh, maybe the first uh, really, how can I say, advancedly, uh, very advancedly conceived uh, program because it's a program made of 80 compositions that kind of flow in each other, uh, like in a yeah, little bit uh, stream of consciousness, like uh, labyrinthical way. And um, but as a matter of fact, the the, the very first idea was um, how to present Kurtak's music in the best way for me. And since, uh, as you have uh, already mentioned, uh, uh, his music is uh, full of echoes of uh, ghosts <laughs> of the past. Uh, he was and he still is a brilliant, uh, a, a incredible connoisseur of all the report of all our repertoire, and he was also, as a matter of fact, a, a, a mythical uh, a, a chamber music teacher in Budapest, and he still is. On, on the not only the, on the composer that you have mentioned, Weben and Bach, of course, very very much, but also the likes of Machot, of Bartok, of Schumann, of Schubert. You just know uh, need to know his music a little bit. To, to to understand or to agree that uh, that there is a music uh, who has tried at least apparently uh, to make much more tabula rasa with the past. I mean, if if I would have done a project about let's say John Cage music or Pierre Boulez, uh, it would have turned out to be totally different. I could. So no, I could make a, a, John, a John Cage program with uh, Beatles music around it, for instance. Yeah. Also with old music, we, I don't say that uh, it has no uh, reference to the past, uh, the music by John Cage. But as I said, the music by Kurtak is, uh, for me, it's a particular reflection or uh, expression also of, of how uh, neurotical maybe, uh, how suffering, how how happily as well. But uh, it's, a, it's a conflictual uh, to, to me. Uh, relationship to the past and all this big labyrinthical uh, relation I tried to put it in, into into this program who is made for music from Machot, the, the oldest pieces uh, by Machot which I play on the piano and through Bach, Scarlatti and, uh, and Schubert and Schumann and, and so on. Let's listen to an excerpt from your performance of Cortex Ghosts. Mm. 
Marino Fermenti there playing a selection from Kurtag's Ghosts. Marino, uh, a very familiar piece there, uh, uh, which will be, I'm sure many people will recognise. But remind us what it is and why you included it in Kurtag's Ghosts. Well, this is uh, this is maybe one of the last. Uh, is uh, there is a piece by Kurta called Tears. And this reminded me, uh, I also had some talks with him, of course, about all these, uh, these titles and, and the pieces and the atmospheres in the pieces. And there is this big tradition of tears uh, pieces in the, in the English uh, Baroque and, and, and early Baroque uh, uh, tradition. And uh, so, and I thought the parcel as a figure, it's uh, himself, particularly parcel, um, as we know him, how he was as a, as a human being and the composer. I thought uh, it, it would be a, a good, um, how can I say, older and English and Baroque brother for for for, for Kurta and for his ringing with the with the tones and so uh, and and that's that's how I I decided to have a, a small parcel piece uh, as well. Interesting in the in the program, uh, of course, are more for me at least uh, or new the relationships between the pieces. Uh, than the pieces themselves, uh, or at least uh, they are as inter- interesting. So uh, how they, this, this round by Purcell, whom you, we, we just heard, uh, goes into the next piece, which would be Tears by, by Kuotak, uh, the program, it's about this kind of connections. Of so in, in a well. sense, the, the whole piece is a, a kind of conversation. Somebody described it, I think, as a conversation, music conversation across six centuries. You can, yes, yes, yes. The, the, the theory is, is uh, that uh, every art piece is an answer to the former ones, and and every uh, so the history of music is also the history of a dialogue uh, between the the and beyond the, the 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 death itself, if you want, uh, between the centuries and and beyond. Uh, the centuries. So, so a great a great stream of music into into the future. Um, people have have remarked on your stamina uh, as a pianist, the way you can perform marathon concerts to large audiences, then choose to perform singular pieces to an audience maybe of one. Um, I presume this is both about challenging yourself as a performer and challenging expectations of how music is made and for whom. Well. I- is one of the technical, the technical, the technical stuff that we human beings invented to challenge ourselves. Uh, I, I think no? so that if you are, if, if you that you try to challenge yourself is uh, more than normal. Um, I, I guess. Uh, and the, 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 the thing is that I, I felt uh, and I still feel. Uh, that uh, the musical world, uh, both the classical and the contemporary world, uh, are too much stuck uh, in uh, forms uh, who are uh, really from the past. I mean, a, a, an average, uh, let's say, contemporary piano recital uh, looks uh, more or less exactly how it looked uh, in the 1820s by Franz Liszt. You have a, a shorter piece and then a longer piece and then it's a, a kind of a culinary uh, put together of four pieces with nice applause in between. 
uh, for me, and, and I mean, if you look, if you compare it with the history of theater or or movie or the the, the birth of movie, yeah, since the birth of movie, well, everything what happened, yeah, or the history of exhibitions, what the difference between an exhibition in the 1930s and now, and so and the, and nothing has, has has happened in the world of music, if if I can put it a little bit in a little bit polemical way, yeah. And so for me, it's normal that uh, to go on stage and then play a piece and then and then stand up like a little monkey and get my applause and then play the next work. I I can't do that anymore, honestly. No, I <laughs> can imagine not. It's just my... And, and as, as you mentioned, yes, I do. I mean, Kurt of course, is a now already a little bit older program. I think it's eight years old. I'm very, very happy to play it again. But um, the last things that I've been doing were um, way more challenging. Uh, the, the idea of of, perform, of piano performance itself. I, I just played the performance in Brussels for uh, 12 days uh, without interruption. It's a project called Nowhere with music. Um, I call it music to disappear, music uh, of early Baroque and Cage and Feldman, this kind of music. And I have only a piano, a, a bed and a table and people bring me up food in, it's like a small jail, but the audience can can in from 10 to 10 and uh, they have uh, matlates to lay down and to listen. And I did it for one for 25 days in Berlin last year, or I make one-to-one concerts, uh, so the two-hour performance with not an audience, but with one human being as a uh, vis-a-vis. And we talk, we drink, and we decide the repertoire together. Or I just made a Schubert project with uh, uh, Amateur, so I, I casted five uh, Viennese of today, old and, 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 and young, and, and more and less uh, rich and, uh, from every background, and we did Schubert songs together. So I'm, I'm trying to think, to think and, 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 to, and to work at the same time. Now I think I begin to see why one American critic wrote that you have done for piano recital what James Joyce did for the novel. <laughs> well, well, this, that was, of course, yeah, I mean, charming. It's, it's, a big, it's a big comparison. But. Well, we, we very much look forward uh, to, to hearing you play in, in County Louth. Uh, Marino Formenti, thank you very much indeed. I thank you. I thank you. Hugs to everybody. Now, Christian Wolff at 80, a celebration with Christian Wolff on piano, Robin Shulkowski on percussion and cellist Rowan de Sarum is the second concert to take place in County Louth next month, this time in Dundalk. I've been speaking to composer Christian Wolff in Vermont and he began by telling me about his own background. Uh, yes, um, my parents were German. My mother partly Austrian. Uh, they left Germany in 1933, came to France, uh, where I was born in 1934. Um, and then things got worse, uh, and we eventually just uh, came across to the States and landed in New York, uh, which is where I grew up. And then, well, that's the, that's the background. The uh, background. Your family, I think, your, your parents had left Germany in 1933, the, the day after the Reichstag was burned. Just about, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a strong musical line in the family from, from your great-grandfather, Wolf, onwards. There is, yes. My, my grandfather, um, whom I alas never knew, uh, was a, a composer, a violinist, and primarily a conductor and a professor of music in Bonn. And then his father uh, was also a conductor, as was his father. 
And my grandfather was not a close friend, but uh, certainly knew and occasionally played with Brahms. Uh, and my great-grandfather uh, was a great champion of Schumann. Um, and before that, I'm told that the um, next generation back uh, was a great promoter of Beethoven's. So you, you had many influences to take, well, on, I don't know about take influence. on board there. <laughs> There's something in the genes there, yes. <laughs> an, an open book. Um, and your father, I think, had at some point your father met Brahms. Uh, he did. Uh, at, I think my father was aged about seven or eight, something like that. Brahms had come to Bonn for the funeral of Clara Schumann. Uh, and on that occasion, my father met him, yes. Your father then, as well as being a cello player, was a book publisher, a rather eminent book publisher in, in Europe before he moved to New York. Uh, yes, he was, uh, I guess he's best known really for being the, the publisher of Kafka, but also of a number of, he was involved in that sort of early, sort of expressionist, um, German expressionist uh, literature movement uh, around the time of the First World War and after. Uh, and then branched out in a number of other directions, yes. And and your parents continued that tradition of publishing in, in the States? Absolutely, yes. Well, it, they had to. <laughs> we had to make a living. Um, yes, they started all over again when they got to New York, founded an operation called Pantheon Books. What was it like growing up in, in that environment of, of music, books, and I presume regular discussion of, of politics and culture with the move from France to the U.S. at, at the age of seven? Well, it was, pretty remarkable. I mean, looking back, I think, you know, my luck in life has been absolutely extraordinary. The early years in New York, we were quite poor, which actually was not a bad thing. Um, you had to make do with, with small amounts of this and that. And then I got to at least see or hear quite interesting, uh, eminent people, which eventually led to my, first of all, doing piano lessons with a woman called Greta Zultan, um, and who um, turned out to be a good friend of John Cage's. And when I got interested in composing and was looking for a teacher, uh, she put me on to Cage, uh, which, of course, completely uh, changed my life. Yes. And uh, Cage was very briefly your teacher and, and later became, I suppose, a mentor and friend. Mm-hmm. Well, it's completely amazing. I mean, I was 16 years old when I met him, and, um, you know, I just... It was. A, it was. A, what one has to remember a little bit about that time was that the whole experimental music scene was barely visible. Um, there was, first of all, there weren't too many people doing it, uh, and secondly, there were very few opportunities for performances. Uh, was, and finally, the, when we did get performances, the reception was usually very negative. So it was a somewhat embattled situation, but because there was Cage, and Cage was the, was older, quite a bit older than I was, of course, and um, got uh, met up. Uh, there was Morton Feldman, and then a little bit later, Earl Brown, uh, and the remarkable pianist, David Tudor. And finally, just completing <laughs> the collection was the dancer, Merce Cunningham. Um, so there was a kind of uh, micro-community of people doing, you know, un- different things, very different things from what was going on at the time, and um, and supporting one another. Yeah, I love the idea that that you gave Cage a copy of the I Ching, a, yes. a translation, <laughs> an English version of it, tra- published by by your parents' publishing. Yes, house. and that that notion of chance and possibility coming from right. Asia yes, and it was a chance that I gave it to. Well, it wasn't that much of a chance. I knew he was interested. I mean, we and we talked about that. He was very interested in in Eastern um, 
uh, Asian philosophies and religions and things like that. And um, and when this book appeared, I thought, oh, this is something he really would be very interested in. I hadn't thought of it as a as as leading him to a, a technical musical procedure, but that's that's what it turned out to have done. Yeah. But of course, the I Ching often opens yeah. many, many unexpected yeah. doors. Um, Cage again at one point described your music as classical music for an unknown civilization, which oh. is rather a marvelous concept. I mean, you, you must have been very taken by that. Yes, I was. <laughs> of course, I was very pleased. Yeah. Apart from that time with with Cage, you're a self taught composer with with a formal education then in classics and a PhD in comparative literature. Um, you decided and made that choice to study classics instead of, of of music. I wonder, did you see an instinctive link between the two worlds of, of music and classical literature and civilization? Right. I, I can't say I did at the time, no. Um, I was interested in literature, partly from my background at home, and originally I thought I would do English, uh, and there were just too many people doing that, so I, I, I headed for classics, and I did want to do Greek. I had that notion from the start. Um, and somehow I got very much involved in it. I... Um, it wasn't until much, much later that I realized there's a sort of uh, there are possible connections with um, avant-garde and uh, and very old old stuff. You get it in the 20th century. You get interest in Greek tragedy. You get Satie doing this thing with Socrates, with Plato. Um, this curious jump uh, back to something that seems to be what could you say, originary, uh, something that seems to be at the beginnings and therefore very kind of clear-cut. And though not necessarily clear to understanding, but uh, having a kind of um, it's, it's a very basic kind of material, uh, and that's in a way what we were trying to do with the music. So, if you want to see the connections in that way, one could. Um, While you, as a, as a young man, were making this experimental music, the, the world of the, the classics at Harvard would have been, I presume, it was very, very different, defined and conservative <laughs> world. Yes, it was, but uh, somehow. I don't know. I, I had good teachers, uh, some of them, and let's um, say the material is, is, it has this sort of, I suppose, what, classical, traditional association. On the one hand, on the other hand, when you actually engage directly with those texts, um, they're very strange, uh, and to a certain extent, really completely opaque and difficult to understand. Um, and I think that appealed to me, uh, and I didn't, they didn't seem to me at all you know, deeply traditional or anything like that. They just have been around a long time and somehow survived and had a, had still, you know, a kind of vitality there, which was very engaging. You seemed to, to, to marry the two worlds or, or disciplines with, with some ease in becoming professor of classics and music uh, at Dartmouth College for almost 30 years. Did did the two worlds coexist with, with a kind of grace and ease over that time? It's some very kind of... Um, uh, unspoken level. Uh, in practice, no, not at all. I mean, I had to, you know, I, I was doing an academic career, uh, teaching, writing the occasional article, things like that, which on the face of it had absolutely nothing to do with what was doing musically. Um, that was an entirely di- different people, different settings, um, completely separate parallel universes, so to speak. Um, as I say, it wasn't until later that I noticed that there were these underlying possible connections. But I certainly didn't make any effort to bring the two together. In fact, I, I studiously avoided the study of ancient Greek music. <laughs> but mostly these things ran parallel. 
not so long ago, I finally got around to, I was asked to make, to, to do a, a lecture. It occurred to me one could do something uh, about uh, Greek tragedy and experimental music. So I finally <laughs> uh, engaged the subject and wrote something about it. But that was until very recently. Has, has your music been performed in, in Greece at all? Probably. Um, not with me, though. I've never, I've never sort of connected to it. I mean, there is a new music scene there, but... And I think it's much it's stronger now than it used to be. But and I've been to Greece quite a bit, but I I never knew of any musicians or composers that I could connect with. So I have not no no. You've said on on your own music, and um, you are interested in the idea that music doesn't have to go on all the time. It it could or can have gaps, and also in this idea that this of the space between sounds. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps you'd elaborate a little on them, and again, the role of, of silence within music and okay. performance. Um, well, this came especially in my earliest work for some reason. I'm, I'm not quite clear where it came from. I mean, it was certainly in the air. I mean, Cage obviously was very interested and did the famous uh, silent piece. Um, but Feldman's early music also was quite... Um, could you say space <laughs> diaphanous or spacey or uh, involving these isolated events? Uh, we were interested in sound, and of course, you can hear sound best if you sort of isolate it, uh, which meant putting it within spaces of silence. And that led to another thing, which was that um, if you've got silence in a piece and it's being performed, um, you notice that, of course, there are other sounds. Uh, the piece is very easily kind of interrupted, if you will, or just, uh, I don't, though I don't think of it as interruption, I don't think any of us did. We, we thought of it much more as part of um, the music sort of allowing the sounds around it to become part of itself or vice versa. You're also, and again, very interested in the idea of freedom within performance, of, of allowing the performers of the music almost to find their own way with it and through it. Mm-hmm. And the, giving them maybe the possibility of, of of going in different directions with it. Yes, yes. I think that's the the thing that probably distinguished me from Cage and Feldman. Um, and it started because Cage. We were all interested in in the early years in this notion of indeterminacy of of, of chance operations and also of just not knowing what was going to come next. And Cage did it primarily through the just process of composition. But once he'd made the composition, then that was fixed. That was, you had to play it that way. And it occurred to me that one could also do, you know, work with indeterminate elements, not at the point of composition, but at the point of performance, which in some ways seemed to me more realistic. And that's what led me to um, devise these various procedures whereby the performers have choices or what they're doing actually is, is, is unpredictable, even to them. Are you ever surprised by the choices musicians make? Oh, yes. Make? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, it can happen. Mm-hmm. Sometimes <laughs> pleasantly, sometimes not so pleasantly. <laughs> the Dundalk concert uh, features Robin Shulkowski and Rowan Sarum, who've been long-time collaborators and interpreters of your music. Um, I wonder, when did you first meet Robin, and do you know Rowan from his days in the Arditi Quartet? I do, yes. Mm-hmm. That's when we first... We met, actually, we go back a ways, well, I'm trying to think. Sometime in the 70s is when I first uh, encountered Rohan, yeah. What works, then, are, are you going to perform in this first Irish concert, and why these particular pieces? It happened more or less by chance, yeah, accident. Um, I think, it seems to me, Eamon suggested Rohan. I can't remember quite how that came up, but when there are concerts involving not too many people... Um, 
I always think of Robin because we've we've been doing things together for some time now, especially just as a as a duo. And then um, Rohan, we've also worked together with Rohan, and we get along well. And musically, it usually works out very well. So it seemed like a nice combination, uh, just the three of us. Uh, this radio program also covers Louth Contemporary Music Society's other concert, uh, Kurtag's Ghosts, on the second of May in Drogheda. I understand uh, Kurtag also wrote a piece dedicated to you called Homage Christian Wolf. Is Kurtag a friend? Someone whose whose work you he admire? Is. Indeed, yes, he is. I, first of all, I admire his work very much, and then um, he. I noticed a connection when somebody pointed out to me that one. He's got this series of there are many volumes of short, very short piano pieces. They originally started as a kind of uh, pedagogical thing, but then it, they sort of became independent, uh, called Yatekok uh, Games. And one of them is dedicated to me, which I hadn't, I mean, I hadn't known that. And um, turned out it, it, so that was the first musical connection. And then he came to the States once, and um, not far from where I live, up in Vermont. And um, he, he sort of arranged for me to come and, and meet him down there. So, and since then, we've been good friends. At the time, he also, as it happens, he was interested in setting um, uh, Greek poetry, ancient Greek poetry, uh, as songs. So he was interested in having me <laughs> check out the Greek. So we talked about those things as well. I haven't seen him now for quite a while. He's in a little village outside of Bordeaux. It's not so easy to get to, and I don't get to that part of the world very often. But um, that's the last time. Last time I saw him was about three or four years ago down there. Yep. Louth Contemporary Music Society has brought a, a world of new music to, to Irish audiences. I wonder if, if there's contemporary music you're particularly taken by or alert to or, or modern composers we should be listening yeah, out for. Yeah. That's a difficult question. I mean, I try to, you know, keep, keep in touch um, there's a lot out there that I don't I don't really relate to at all anymore. Uh, I mean, they're the sort of classic Zanakis, whom I caught up with fairly recently. It took me a while, but uh, and I whom I admire greatly, Kurtak, of course, and then of the younger composers, they're a handful, uh, and I'm I'm interested in in this sort of uh, this group that formed. Oh, it's been a while now, uh, maybe ten years or more, uh, who usually fall under the general heading of Wandelweiser who do a kind of extreme, minimal kind of music. And there are a whole bunch of them. There's about, you know, uh, eight or ten. The main one is based in Germany, but there's one in the States here, a good friend of mine, um, Michael Pizarro. And um, and they've had quite a... They have more and more effect on, on some of the younger composers who are willing to be a little bit uh, exploratory and are not so much concerned with uh, standard new music careers. That's what mostly, I mean, I find somewhat off-putting is the the number of composers now who are basically career-oriented more than anything else, uh, and the music somehow has to fit in with that rather than the other way around. Christian Wolf, uh, very good to talk to you, and, and we look forward to the concert in Dundalk. Thank you. The music of Christian Wolf, their composition for Monty Paul Griffiths. Um, is is that piece typical of Wolf's music? It's very hard to say. To, I, actually, I wanted to j- just put in a, a postscript because the, the lovely Bach transcriptions so calmly played by the Kortogs, George Kortog and his wife, Marta Kortog, they went to Ligeti's funeral in Vienna in 2006 and, and played that. And that was the only music played on that occasion. So these two great composers, one of whom stayed in Hungary, the other one had a, a much more international career. Remain very close, um, right, right to the end of, of Ligeti's life. It's very hard to say about Christian Wolff what is 
typical because he's had a very long active career and done a great many things. That, of course, is, is a notated piece. Some of his pieces aren't notated in standard musical notation at all. They're, they're contained in verbal instructions. They're invitations to improvise, to put together music in, in a particular way. And as he was suggesting, uh, they leave all kinds of options to performers which performers can deal with in, in, in various ways. So it's very hard to say typical. That's typical in, I suppose, it's, it's gentleness. That, that's one thing that goes through. And um, We heard him speak about, about his life and how he sees the world of music. How do you see his place and importance in that world of, of contemporary music? He's one of those composers who's becoming more and more important. I mean, so many things that he said there are, I think, important to our, our musical world and the way we're going on. Uh, one thing that, that, that stuck in my mind, he talked about ancient poetry sometimes being hard to understand. And people say there's so much about new music that it's hard to understand. And I wonder if, if understanding is the first thing to do with this stuff or if experiencing it is not the first thing to do. Music very often can't be translated into something else, otherwise it would be something else. And and the the primary thing to, to do is to listen and, and to and to experience it and, and to uh, listen to the sounds and, and and try and and work out if you like some some sense to it. But just listening is is the first thing, just experiencing. I was but, I was fascinated to hear him say that as a classicist and composer he had deliberately steered clear of early Greek music when one might assume that he would he would listen and perhaps draw on it for inspiration. Yeah, well we know very little about early Greek music because the texts are very hard to interpret. It's very difficult. If you don't have notation, it's very difficult to convey what music sounds like and how how it's based so you know there, there are scales that we we have greek names for like dorian and phrygian and so on they may not relate to what greek scales were like at all or, or only only very distantly so this is this is a a, a, a great unknown he mentioned there again silence as, as this vital component in, in music making and something to be considered and respected. And, you know, obviously, as he said, you know, you think of Cage and Feldman in, in relation to this, but it is a very important consideration, isn't it, in, in terms of, of new music, the spaces that are left and, and the, the, the role, the importance of silence within it all. Yeah, and I think there are a number of reasons for that. One is the catastrophic experience our culture had in the the time of the Second World War, which uh, slightly impinged on the life of Christian Wolff um, as a as a as a child. But um, well, it, it vastly impinged on his life. But he he wouldn't have had too much awareness of it at the age of seven, probably. But certainly for Kurchak, who was in his teens during the um, the Nazi time, yes, uh, this unbelievable um, happening shocked our culture into silence in a way it's 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 what what can you say after after that what what can you sing what can you paint so that's that's one part of it but also the 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 discovery once you start to to think about silence how there really is no such thing not only is there always going to be some sound going on some 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 external sound even if you're not making any noise even if you're sitting in in complete silence you will be hearing something but also the number the the different qualities of silence 
just within pieces of music, how how silence is completely different depending on whether the, the, there's, a, there's a rush to a loud chord and then silence, or something trickles away and then silence, or just one sound and then silence. How silence is always not utter silence, it's a silence of memory, of expectation, what's going to happen next. Eamon Quinn, fascinating to hear Christian Wolf there talking ab- about his background and, and his music. I wonder, as, as a programmer, was he someone you sought out for a while uh, or, or did you particularly want to, to make this concert happen this year to, to mark his 80th birthday? Um, there's, I think there's different connections for me, even with Kurtag as well. Um, it's interesting to hear that Christian Wolf's father was a publisher of Kafka Fragments. So we held um, the Irish premiere of Kafka Fragments last year where Kurtag uses sections of Kafka's notebooks in the piece. He had been somebody on the horizon. He was also um, friends of Alvin Lucier, who was here last year. And Alvin then really kicked it off and said, look, you've got to invite him over. Uh, he's very important culturally, not just his links with Cage, but I, I think... What he has developed for me is that in, in music there's um there's a musical conversation going on between the players at such a high and unique level in that the composition is, is just one it's not the final part of the of the music, it's something which is extended when the players are listening and talking to each other through the instruments. Paul, have have you seen Christian Wolf play live in the past? Uh, only once in 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 London uh, a couple of years ago there was a, a big concert during the prom season to celebrate the hundredth anniversary of John Cage's birth and he came over and he played then but he was taking part in um, in a Cage composition not playing music of his own and what what was that experience like seeing him play live it's just extraordinary to 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 hear people you've um, You've had in your mind all your life, and then there, there they are in the same room as you are. But th- that that concept was altogether a remarkable occasion. It was a, a a real joyous occasion. Eamon, do you still find that that composers like Wolf are, are very happy to be invited to Ireland uh, and to have their, their work performed here? Yes, very much so. I, I find it extraordinary that Christian Wolf has never actually performed in Ireland um, when we have a quite a long established contemporary music scene so and, and I'm very happy that we are we have been able to invite him he is a really important cultural figure he's quite unassuming man and he comes across like that in the interview but he you know make no doubt about it he is an extraordinary figure particularly in the early days of the New York school and then his later work with them um, in even improvisation and graphic notation and it's it's over the last 50 years that he has been really important. Eamon Quinn and Paul Griffiths, thanks to you both and thanks also to Marino Formenti and Christian Wolf. And here's a piece of music that directly links Wolf and Cortag. Gary Kurtag's homage to Christian Wolf performed by Kurtag linking two of the composers we've been discussing. Louth Contemporary Music Society's forthcoming concerts are Kurtag's Ghosts at St. Peter's Church of Ireland, Drogheda, performed by Marino Formenti on piano on Saturday the 2nd of May. That's part of Drogheda Arts Festival and Christian Wolf at 80 
a celebration featuring Christian Wolf on piano, Robin Shulkowski on percussion and cellist Ron Desarum. That's at St. Nicholas's Church of Ireland, Dundalk and features a pre-concert conversation with Christian Wolfe and Paul Griffiths at half past seven on Saturday the 30th of May. Full details at loudcms.org. On next week's Arts Tonight, another chance to hear our programme on David Thompson, author of Woodbrook. Contributors include Luke Dodd, Julian Vignoles, Eilish Nguivna and Roy Foster. Do listen then. Good night. Arts Tonight was presented by Vincent Woods and produced by Cleon in the Onloon.